24, which is on page 1538, 1538 Matthew 24. Let us invite the Lord's presence. Gracious God, we've just been singing your praises. We've been singing about trusting and obeying. Sometimes that's hard for us to do. We need the unction of your Holy Spirit. We, we need to focus real serious, Lord, to be the people you want us to be at the end of the age before Jesus Christ comes back. I pray, Lord, that you'll anoint this sermon this morning what you want this church family to know, what you want to be emphasized, we ask that you'll bring that out and apply this message to each heart here today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to give you some context for Matthew 25. That's where we'll be spending some time today. I want to give you a little bit of context. If you, if you look at your Bibles you look at chapter 23. These are pretty much the last words, the last message of Jesus to the religious leaders, the religious establishment of his days. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, people that were in positions of, of power to influence people for good. That's what they were supposed to be doing. And you see woe after woe after woe where Jesus comes on really, really strong, stronger in Matthew 23, I think, than anywhere else in, in, in the writings or the messages of Jesus Christ. So that's a very important chapter. I almost preached on that chapter today. Warning the religious leaders to take seriously what he and the apostles were emphasizing. And then we come to Matthew 24. It says, Jesus left the temple, was walking away with his disciples when his disciples came to him to call his attention to the buildings. That temple was one beautiful structure, apparently. Do you see all of these things? He said, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Whoa, did that get their attention? So as Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus made numerous promises in Scripture. And one of the most important is that he will come back again. Do you believe that? Yes. 
the evidence, whether you believe that or not, will come through in these verses that we're going to look at today. It's no use saying, yes, I believe a flood's coming unless you're willing to get in the ark. That's the evidence that you're really believing and trusting in the message that's been given. Well, most of you, I think, have a general picture of the importance of Matthew 24, very important chapter as far as last day events and the end of the age. Jesus gives a number of signs. One of the most important is in verse 14, where he says this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed where? Throughout the whole world. It's one of the reasons why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist is one of the very few church families that actually believes that verse, that we have an obligation as a church family to get the message into all the world, not just Anderson, Redding, Red Bluff, Sacramento, Northern California, or California, but the whole world. And those of you that are faithful with your tithes, a portion of your tithe is skimmed off by the general conference, which enables them, amongst other things, to send missionaries to parts of the world where there is no Adventist presence. So, one of the things that Marion's trying to do with this new group that she's started, have you started yet, Marion? Is today, okay, is to give you some kind of background, some understanding of where we are and what we are and who we are as a movement. We started as a movement. And in some parts of the world, the movement has slowed down and stagnated. In some parts of the world, it's moving really fast. And it's very exciting. No sooner do it, does Maranatha put a building up, than we fill it. Wouldn't you love that to happen here? And for it to happen here, we need revival, we need reformation, we need every man and woman, every boy and girl in this church family to get excited about something to do with God's kingdom, get passionate about that, word of mouth, helping people, acts of kindness, whatever it takes, and people will come. So there are many signs in here, but one of the things I want you to notice, we're not going to get into the signs, is in verse 4, I believe it is, where Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. So this word, watch out, be awake, be on your guard, runs all the way through this passage, this whole chapter. And I believe the ramifications of what it means to watch out are developed in chapter 25, which we're going to move to in just, just a moment. So yes, there are signs, there are miracles, there is deception, as it was in the days of Noah in this chapter, the children's story this morning. How many people were ready for the flood? Only those few that got in the ark, right? Didn't matter what people said, didn't matter what people claimed, I don't care if people were saying, you know, Noah's a pretty nice guy. 
I, I kind of trust this fellow. The bottom line was you were either in the ark if you believed and you trusted and you obeyed, or you were outside. And only God could close and open that door of that ark. So there's a lot of lessons just in that story in Genesis. Jesus said at the end of the age, people will not be ready for him to come. Now, some will, but it could well be a small number in comparison to the whole. Now, in verse 45, verse 42, that he repeats again, keep watch. That's a constant refrain, but of course, we have to ask the question, well, what does it mean to watch? And then verse 45, he says this, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. My master is delaying his coming. Have you ever heard that before? And then he begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour when he is not aware of, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what I want you to be confronted with this morning is, is it possible for a church family like the Seventh-day Adventist church family who actually has the word Adventist in its name, what does Adventist mean? You're looking for this second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's right there in our name. But is it right there in our hearts? Could some of us be thinking, the Lord is delaying His coming. I can mix with the world. I can abuse the privileges that I have. And we have tremendous privileges, not just as Christians. And that should come first. Before I ever became a Seventh-day Adventist, I came to Christ. And I believe that was very much part of God's plan. But to be a Seventh-day Adventist is a tremendous privilege too. And with privileges comes responsibility. And as chapter 25 will show, accountability. When Christ comes back, it is judgment day. And think of all of those passages in the Old Testament that say, whoa, it's the day of the Lord, over and over and over again. You find that. Well, when Christ comes back, it's a judgment day. You're either going to be in or out. Those are the only options. So that brings us to chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. But the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any what? What were they missing? The oil of the Holy Spirit. 
The oil is a symbol. Now, of course, there were real lamps that had real oil in Jesus' day, just as I suppose in some places today they still use that method of lighting. But the oil is a symbol of the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Jesus said, it's very much to your advantage that I go away and send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is everything to the Christian. The Holy Spirit is the one that woos you and draws you to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts you of your need. Nobody is going to turn to Jesus as their Savior unless they feel some kind of need. Now, if we know that judgment is definitely going to come, we have that conviction in our heart that there is a day of accountability, that everything we do in this life, there's going to be a payday, right? It's what judgment is about then hopefully we will flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we realize that we've broken those commandments over and over again, not just in actions, but in our hearts, then we will flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's good. And that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end there. The same Holy Spirit that brings us to Jesus Christ, when we're justified by faith, the same Holy Spirit will sanctify us make us holy, a little bit here, a little bit there, mold us and shape us. What's the whole point? That we should have a a Seventh-day Adventist church of goody two shoes on this planet earth? Is that the main point? God wants a group of people that reflect the character of Christ, that that love like Jesus Christ, that serve like Jesus Christ, that have a passion for the lost like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And the end result of it all will be when Jesus Christ comes back, we will enter into the glory of the Lord. So you have to kind of watch, yes, of course, I think as Seventh-day Adventists, we've heard a lot about that. Watch, read the signs of the times, realize that there's there's an urgency, realize also that Satan's on the warpath and there is massive deception. I think deception is a great word for the age in which we live. Even the media is deceptive. Maybe especially the media is deceptive. We have deception all over the place. Where we don't need deception is in our hearts. Where we don't need deception is in our church family, because that's not Jesus. That's not the Father. That's not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is symbolized by this oil, and five had it, five did not. How many were sleeping? All ten. I wonder what the message is there. But when the bridegroom did come, five were ready with the oil to meet him, and five were not. That's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to emphasize the need of the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, that really is when we become Christians. So yes, there's lots of ways being born again. There's lots of different ways of explaining how we become Christians. But if we do not have the Spirit of God, what's the rest of the verse? We are not His. So that's how important the Holy Spirit is. Jesus is the one that saves us, but the Holy Spirit makes all of this effective in our lives. Now, I want to spend some time on the parable of the talents. Again, verse 14 chapter 25. It would be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. So that's kind of similar to what we just read in verse 45 and onwards in chapter 24. And he entrusted his property to them. To one he gave how many talents? Five. To another one he gave two. And to another one he gave one. What do you have? Five, two, or one? Now the one that has five, is he, he or she going around and sticking their chest out and saying, hey, I've got five. And the one who's got one saying, it's not fair. The Lord doesn't love me. He's only given me one, one little talent. The whole point of this parable is we use what God has given to us. You grasp the opportunity that you have. And I know in this world, some, we say that some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Have you ever heard that phrase? It really doesn't matter whether we're super wealthy, whether we're poor, when it comes to spiritual things, and remember this is all about the kingdom of heaven that we're talking about now. It's about spiritual things. Even though money is mentioned in, in the translation that I'm using this morning, it's not about money. It could be about money, but this parable is not about money. This parable is about giving Jesus everything. Your money, your time, your abilities, whether they be spiritual gifts, whether they be natural abilities, everything laid on the line for those that are going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I think most of you know the drift of this parable. The one who had five put them to work and doubled the talents that he had. And it says there, um, and of course, the one who had one uh, dug it in the ground, sat on it, and did nothing with it. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There is a settling accounts for all of us. Now, I'm talking of those that are in Jesus Christ now. This is not a message of salvation by works. The Bible teaches that the gospel works. It's effective. How do you know? By the fruitage in your life. What you do for others, what you do for God. Works bring glory to our Father in heaven. Do works save us? Well, the works of Jesus do. A little bit of a trick question there. Not our works. But the works of Jesus save us, yes. But if we are saved, we will work for God and for our fellow man. That's the way the gospel, the gospel is effective. Not just getting us through the pearly gates, but the gospel is effective in, in us being fruitful in this life. It's like a probationary time that we have, a window of opportunity to team up with Jesus Christ. I title this sermon, Stretching for Jesus. Stretching for Jesus. I don't know if that's a good title, but it seems to fit, I think, with the idea that's in, in this parable, that we grasp our opportunities. We're like spiritual entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, how do you say it? How do you say it? Entrepreneurs. I heard someone 
this week that was an entrepreneur and, and how he got excited and why he got excited. And I thought, wow, if we as a church family could get so excited about the business that God has called us to, it would be a good thing. Well, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. How do you think the master will respond? Is it a good thing to increase rather than decrease? Let's see. His master replied, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, there is something in Scripture called rewards. And I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on rewards. I don't know that I've heard too many Seventh-day Adventist sermons on this. I don't just mean the reward of eternal life. But what will we be doing for the rest of eternity? Just like we are to be busy on this earth, I'm sure we're going to be busy in God's new world or new eternity. What exactly will we be doing? And I think there is a message in Scripture, not just here, which of course is a parable, and some people can say, well, don't read too much into it, but other places that specifically talk of various rewards that we will get. Anyway, whether that's the case or not, the master is very, very pleased with these two servants. They have been faithful. Faithful. God is not asking us to be multi-talented, but He is asking us for sure to be faithful. Verse 24, then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Now, if this is representing God, I don't believe we should look on God as a hard man. Even when He sends a flood, I don't think we should look on Him that way because He is a God of love. And if wickedness has to be obliterated, then so be it. We have to believe that it's done in love. At least that's the way I see it. I don't think God is a God of love when you and I have our act together. He's always a God of love. He would never have come up with the plan of salvation unless He was a God of love. He would never have allowed His Son to come to this world and die a horrible death on the cross unless he was a God of love. We, we sometimes speak about tough love. Judgment is a good thing if it's done from a heart of love, always. Well, unfortunately, this servant had dug the hole in the ground, stuck his talent in there, says, I know you're a hard man harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. And so I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. Good or bad? Are we to sit on the talents that God gives us? See, here is what belongs to you. 
Now it's time to duck. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. Now you won't get a lot of money if you put your money there, but especially in these days, but it's better than a hole in the ground, possibly, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, so we all have something, everyone who has will be given more and we'll, we will receive an abundance. Isn't that the principle of this kingdom? We, we don't live for self. We live for God that's what makes the universe go around. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you want to see how the commentators deal with those final verses. They have a really, really hard time believing that Jesus even said those things. But it's the Word of God. And we can't pick and choose with the Word of God. And there are passages in the Word of God that are not easy and that are challenging, very, very challenging. But here, very clearly in this parable, the idea comes through that we are all given something wonderful by the Lord and that we are to use it to His honor and to His glory. Um, in one Seventh-day Adventist book, it puts the title here of utilizing present opportunities. The improvement of talents and opportunities working while waiting for the kingdom. We're not passive while we're waiting for Jesus to come. Faithful service is the basis of reward, helping others prepare for the Lord's return. Now, how many of us can honestly say this morning that we are actively working on behalf of someone, somewhere, to prepare them for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's lots of ways you can package that. Some of the ways that it's done is by having a discipleship program like Connections, which has been going on in this church for a while now, and more and more people are getting exposed to that. I can see nothing but good for this church coming from that. If we take it seriously, nothing but good coming from that kind of emphasis. We want people to know what their spiritual gifts are. We want them to feel an obligation to do ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we can guide and channel and suggest to people areas of possible ministry, then it's going to be good for this church. We have people that are out there giving literature to others. I don't care if 20 people throw that piece of, piece of literature away, maybe one person will read it. Maybe one person one day will be saved by reading it or prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. We have ministry going on um, on Wednesday mornings. Some want to call it Dorcas, but we'll call it community service, where people come in and some of them might get some food, all of them can get some clothing, Maybe some of us would like it to be a bigger ministry, reaching more people. Well, let's be faithful with what we have. And, and quite a few people are benefited by 
that ministry. I personally believe we can't do everything, but we have to find a few things that we can do, that, that, not that we can all do, we will do probably different types of ministry, but we can all find a few things that we can do to help build up this church family and ultimately build up God's kingdom. Now, if you understand the parable of the talents differently than I do, and you're welcome to do that, I think the next few verses are a good note to end this sermon because the whole parable swings on one point. Let's look at it as we get ready to wrap up here. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, oh, what a day that will be. Are you ready for it? Remember to watch. There's deception. Be ready. He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. So let's just imagine this morning, can I edge out here without, well, it's a bit shaky, but it does get you from snoozing on me. Should we make this side the wicked? Oh, that's okay, Sylvia. Well, we have to have one side. So the goats are on one side and the sheep on another. Is it good to be a goat? Not in this parable. The goats, the wicked, are on one side and the sheep, those who hear, well done, good and faithful servant, are on the other side, okay? It's a judgment day message. Kind of a little bit like last week when we went into the book of Deuteronomy, choose life. Do you remember that? Okay, here we have it dressed up a little bit different. Of course, very importantly, not coming from the mouth of Moses, but coming from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So on one side, only two groups, only ever two groups. You're either in or you're out. All the nations will be gathered before him, will separate the sheep from the goats. Verse 33, he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. Here's, here's the whole deal right here. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? See, these are not people that are bragging about their works. They are busy. Jesus is clearly saying that, busy for him, but not in a way that they're boasting. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Imagine it. If you could reduce the Christian life down to one thing, 
what would it be? Well, faith, yes, but lots of understandings of what faith is. Belief, same thing. Trust is a little bit better. Obey is better, but, but what should we obey? Well, obey the commandments of God like we saw last week. But here it gets immensely practical, don't you think? And we know that living the Christian life is way more than putting some clothes on someone's back or visiting the sick or those that are in prison or whatever. We, we know it's way more than that. But this is incredibly practical. What we are doing for others. Will we dedicate our life to serve God and implicit in that, loving God with all your heart is loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the acid test of our Christianity. I do believe on the strength of these passages and, and many other places like in Ellen White's writings, I do believe that we could do a whole lot more in a practical way for the society in which we live. And I think we would go much higher in the estimation of people if we did that, not just if we had evangelistic meetings for three or four weeks, even though if it works, there is a place for that, for sure. And some of you that are here this morning became Seventh-day Adventists because an evangelist came and preached the gospel. So we're not trying to minimize those things, but I do feel there is a whole lot more room for Seventh-day Adventists to be known as kind, considerate people doing almost unconscious acts of kindness on a regular basis and I think we're living in a day and age in our society when a lot of people will take notice of that kind of ministry. All right, let's finish this off. The king will reply, uh, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you've had any questions about death, hell, eternal fire, well, maybe this passage uh, can shed some light on that. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, needing clothes, or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Is God going to punish people forever and ever and ever? Is that the main point we should get from this? No. But the, the consequences, the consequences of the, the way of life that we live have eternal ramifications. Sodom and Gomorrah, eternal fire, is it still burning? No but the results are still there. So, let's pull it all together. You and I have a few days left, a few months, a few years, a couple of hours. We have no concept of how long we'll be around, really, have we? We don't know. 
but we do have the opportunity to decide today that we're going to consecrate everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what He did for us, and we can't do anything less for Him. If we love Him, we will lay it all out on the line. We will grasp the opportunities that are there. We can ask God to open windows of opportunity that you and I have not even thought about. Don't you think that we're a little bit stereotyped as Seventh-day Adventists? Don't you think there's a little bit too much of trying to be like somebody else? We need individuals. We need uniqueness. You are all unique. And God can do through, through you specifically what no one else has thought of in this church family. And that's a good thing. Variety. And yet, unity. Only possible if people are under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Those of you that are doing, uh, crowding all the good works you can into this life and doing ministry for Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. Those of us that are not, let's repent. Let's turn to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and let's tell him, use us, Lord, as you see fit. Let's pray. Gracious God, here we are again as a church family thanking you for Jesus. He's the one altogether lovely, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He didn't just say he loved us, he came and died for us to show his love. And Lord, through him, we have eternal life with you. We praise you and we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that everybody here, every man and woman, every boy and girl, does have that assurance of eternal life. But Lord, we can't just be people of words. We need to be people of actions. And all of these parables have showed the importance of that. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for what he wants to do, reproduce the life of Christ in us. So give us the heart of Jesus, the servant heart, the heart that has compassion for the lost. And Lord, if some of us have the ability here this morning, if you've given us that ability to build one another up in the faith, well, praise God for that too. We want a strong, vibrant church family that seeks and saves the lost. So make it a reality, Lord, for we ask these things with the forgiveness of all of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen.